but we won't review much before we get into chapter 12. Just we've finished again those first 11 chapters, the doctrinal portion of the Scripture, which is really telling us what God has accomplished for us. That was from, from chapter 1 to chapter 11. That's what God's done to redeem us out of that state of sin. How that God's regenerated us, adopted us into the family, filled us with His Spirit and with His power, is with us day by day through trouble and uh, that Spirit of God, our companion in this world. And now in, in 12 through the rest of this book, we're going to talk about how that affects my natural life in this world. That, that God's done a work that's unseen. God's work is in the hidden man of the heart, in the spiritual man. And now, how does that affect my life outwardly as we walk and live through this world? So chapter 12, let's maybe read the first couple verses. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So as he talks through this, I, I want you to notice, I'm going to read again verse 1. Listen to how this is worded. Never thought about this like this till last night as we were reading once again before we would teach. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye, that you, present your bodies... So the body, as he's reading this, the body's not you. Do you see that? But you are presenting your body. So he's speaking, and and this is the way the Word of God speaks. The Word speaks to the inner man always. And as you think about this, in Romans 6, he, he puts it this way, that know ye not to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So we all have this body. And really it's just a temporary place that we live, move, and have our being in this world. But the body is controlled. His actions are controlled by the inner man. You see that? And so when, when my mind and when my heart is changed, then the actions in the body, they, they'll change also. What I want is what the body does. What I desire is how the body acts. What I think is what leads me to live as I live. So God's done a work in the inner man. God's brought a new creature out of the old inwardly. But you know, that that born again, that cannot be seen. You see that? I got saved, you got saved, whoever it is that was born again in the altar, God done this miraculous work that we've seen in verses or chapters 1 through 11 that God's took us out of sin, brought about this new birth 
in our heart and in our mind and in our life, made new creatures out of us that here was one that was in bondage to sin, here was one that was under the power of the devil, and God has resurrected them from the death in sin, adopted them and made them a part of their family, and indwelled them with a spirit. And you can tell none of that by looking on the man. That's all that inward work. But you know, that, that work that God's done in the hidden man, it's then going to be reflected. It's going to be shown forth in the body. And so Paul here is saying now, as God's redeemed you, as God's translated you from darkness into light, as you've been resurrected and brought from death unto life, now yield your bodies just in the same way as when you were lost and undone and the devil ruled over your inward man and you yielded your body, you used your body to please that inward man who desired sin and rebellion. Now yield your bodies a living sacrifice unto God that your body would be yielded unto His service and for His glory and that that would be our chiefest desire. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So we talked about this last time. To be fully agreeable and to be wholly sanctified and set apart for the glory of God in this world. That's a thought that, honest to God, is far gone from the majority of our church world today that our body is set apart to glorify and exalt God in this world. That the time that we have, I mean, God's redeemed us and brought us out of darkness. And the only way that that work can be manifested in this world is through our bodies. And if I mar my body with sin if I yield my body to unrighteousness, if I yield my body to serve worldliness, then no one is able to see the work that God has done in the hidden man of the heart. Now no, we're not saved by works. We're saved by the work of God Himself. But if that work of God in the inward man is going to be manifested you see that it's manifested by how I yield my body in this life. And so he says, which is your reasonable service? This is the rational thing that a man ought to do. That As you would sit and ponder all of these first 11 chapters, looking at what God has done, what God has given, God gave his son, his son gave everything he had and God has sent his spirit to dwell with us. God has took us from wrath and judgment and from the dangers of eternal fire and he's brought us out of that state, justified us, gave us a, a, a bill 
of perfection through Jesus Christ. We don't have to fear judgment any longer. He's adopted us into His family, gave us the ability to pray to Him and call Him Father, gave us His Spirit to be our companion as we wander through this life day by day. And if God's done all of that for me, would it not be rational for me to render my body to Him for His glory in this life? Is that asking too much? See, you know, a marriage is compromise. You hear that often. That one's got to come down and the other comes down that you might be able to go together in this life. Well, as we look at this relationship here, you look at all that God's given and done that I could be saved how, how is it unreasonable that God would expect me now to render my body and my time to Him for His glory? That as I look at this man, and you know, this body, this body's the source of all my trouble in this world. In this world. It's the source of, of every doubt, every fear, every pain, all of the trouble, all of the temptation, it all comes through this body, doesn't it? But this body, again, is to be sanctified, holy, set apart for the glory of God in this life. And how we yield our body in this life reflects on the God that saved us. You see that? So he says in Corinthians... He says, would you take your body and and give it to a harlot? What you're doing is you're taking Jesus in there and yielding Him to a harlot. Because now our body and, and God, they are joined together. You see that? And how that I use my body in this life, it's bringing shame and reproach or honor and glory to the name of the one that's bought me and saved me. So you think, well, we can live how we want and there's no consequence. I'm afraid it's weightier than that. That you present your body so to, to bear towards your body a living sacrifice. The sacrifices of the Old Testament, they were led to the altar and they were killed. That's all the glory they could bring. Their blood was poured out. Their bodies placed on the fire. There they were cooked. That's all the glory that there was. But there was no rationality there. You see that? They did not think that through. They didn't know what was going on. The goat, the bullock, the sheep. They didn't know that they were going to die. If they had known it, they would have fought it the whole way through. But they were, as he says in Isaiah... They were dumb. They did not know what was going on. But you know, we're not dumb like animals are. We're rational. God made man to be rational and to be able to think and to think logically and to understand what's going on. And so God expects me in light of everything that God's done for me that my body would be sanctified and holy that I might present it to God that He might use the body for His glory in this world. That the body not be yielded to sin. That my members not be yielded 
to pleasure or to worldliness, but they'd be yielded to Him for His glory. And so He says, and be not conformed to this world. So to be conformed, I think the greatest image is, is water. Water's conforming. Whatever shape of vessel you pour it in, it conforms to that shape. If you've got a cup, that's a star. You can pour water or any liquid in and it conforms to the shape of the star. What, what water is, is because it's liquid, whatever vessel it's put in, whatever shape that it's in, it conforms itself to the image of what it's in. Well, God says don't be conformed to the world that you're living in. Jesus, when He prayed in John 17, He said they're not of the world, but they're in the world. I pray not that you would take them out of the world, but I pray that you would keep them from the evil. That the world and the thinking of the world, and there's where it's all at, remember. A lot of times our mind is right here. It's what my hands are doing that's so important. But the Word of God's getting down deeper than that. It's getting down in my mind and my heart. Because if, if the hands are going to do sin, it's coming from the mind and from the heart. So Paul says, don't be conformed. Is that not where the world wants to get? Right into the way that you think. They want to teach you to think and to believe and to do in a way that's different than really opposed to the Word of God. The world is set up to indoctrinate, to change my thinking. And the world is just like Satan was in the garden, very, very subtle in doing so. And they subtly want to train me to, to normalize. And you, they do that. And most of the time, it's through entertainment, things we enjoy. And they introduce these things through our entertainment. And what they're doing is normalizing that. We get used to seeing that. We get used to, uh, to witnessing that. And our thinking begins to change as to how evil that is. Well, you know, so-and-so on that show, I like that show and this is on it. And that's not really all that bad. And as the devil forms and molds our thinking, our bodies and our dedication becomes more and more molded and our holiness is taken away. Paul says don't be conformed to the thinking of the world that's around you. Recognize that Satan, there is, you believe that there's a devil. You believe that Satan is do you believe that Satan is at work? Now, who is Satan at war against? Is he fighting over the lost people in this world? They're in darkness, are they not? They're dead. They're in bondage. And as long as they're there, his goods are at peace. But who is he at war with? In Revelations 12, he's went out to make war with the woman and with her seed after her. The church of the living God is who Satan is at war with. And so he's taking 
the world round about us. He uses the, the good and the pleasure of the world round about us, the entertainment of the world round about us, the music of the world round. And all of these things He's using to conform us to think opposed to the Word of God. Not that He's trying to get me to disbelieve this, but you know if we can dull the edge just enough and conform us to think, well, you know, I know the Bible says that, but but that's not all that bad. And, and you know, I know the Bible says this, but, but I can do this, and it's really not all that bad. How long does it take for my thinking to be conformed in that way? Think about it now. How that at one time, I would have said I should not do that. That's sin. But you know, the devil, he, he dulls the edge over time. And before long... We can do it repeatedly and there's no conviction in our heart about it. That at one time we said, well, we shouldn't miss church for that. But the edge gets dull. And before long, we're conformed. And we're conformed by the thinking of the world. What do you reckon is most important in the eyes of the world? Gain, pleasure, and enjoyment. Wouldn't you say those are the most important things in the eyes of our world? All these things the Gentiles seek after. That's what their heart is set on. So let's not be conformed to what the Gentiles are seeking. These people are dead in sins. Well, so-and-so talks like that. I ought to be able to do... Well, if they're under the power of the devil and you are a born-again son of God, we ought not be conformed by the thinking of the world that's round about us. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, I, I believe you can see a good picture of this. Now the children of Israel, they've wandered in the wilderness. All of that first generation has died and now they're about to go in and inherit Canaan's land. And Moses is... Reviewing the law one more time with them before they go in. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. So what's he saying? Well, you read that list, and while we're not doing any of those things... But this is what God's saying. I'm bringing you into this land of Canaan and there's all of this ungodliness in there. Now don't go in and be conformed to their way of thinking that we would be brought to the place that we would live like they live and that we would do like they do. What kind of a travesty is it that somebody that's saved and born again 
would be living like somebody that's lost and undone. Should that ever be that way? Should I in any way have the thinking of somebody that's in darkness and lost and undone? Should I have the actions or lifestyle modeled after somebody that's lost and undone? What kind of radical change has went on in the heart? Has there been a radical change in the heart? Here's a child of the devil and here's a child of God. Now should the child of God be conforming his life to that of a child of the devil? But you know, that's what always happens. Well, I'm going to change them. I say that 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 never happens except God's working to change them. But God says, don't be like them. Don't be conformed to them. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee to do so. Why was this behavior not in Israel? Because God had kept it from them. But God says now you're going to live amongst a people that live and do like this. Do we not live amongst people that live and do like this? Do we not live amongst the people that are ungodly and that are blinded by the devil? that are under the power of sin and that live in darkness. God says, don't be conformed to the way they think. The devil's working to conform. In in 1 Peter, and you can say, well, that's Old Testament. And it is Old Testament. That doesn't take away the effectiveness of it. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, as obedient children not fashioning yourselves, same word, conforming, not conforming yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as which he hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Well, we don't really have to be holy anymore. Well, that's not what the Word of God says. Our bodies ought to be presented unto God a living sacrifice and not yielded unto the devil for use of the pleasures of the flesh. Peter says here, don't try to live like you did before God saved you. You were ignorant then. Then you were foolish. Then you thought what you were doing was the right thing. Of course a sinner would live like that. They don't know any better. But now we've been called by one that is holy. So how should we fashion our lives? As God is holy, and I believe inwardly of those that are saved, inwardly that cry is there to be holy like the Father. Inwardly the desire is there. And so Peter says, don't fashion yourselves according to the former lusts, Don't let your thinking be conformed because when our mind is changed, then our actions change as well. Think about now. Think about just for a minute. And don't get aggravated at me.
But you want to talk about people's thinking changing and what a difference it made in their actions. Now we've had sickness in our world as long as I've been alive. And in the wintertime, it's a flu season, people get sick. But boy, the news coverage changed the way people thought, didn't it? And it changed their actions. And so there is a conforming of the inward man and it changes our body. Well, if I would be in the Word of God, wouldn't it be good that my life would be conformed by the Word of God and it changed my actions that I would walk and live in this world pleasing unto Him and not conformed to this world, but be a transformed. Now that's the same word you see in the Gospels. Speaking of Jesus, when He went up on the mountain and He was transfigured. That's the same word. Be ye transfigured. So what happened there? Well, Jesus was God in the flesh. But there on the mountain, He was transformed and His glory shone through the outward body and Peter, James, and John could see the glory of the Savior shining through. Well, I'm not saying that we are the Son of God as Jesus was, but we are sons of God. And the power and Spirit of God dwells within us. So what's happening? Well, we're not conformed and living according to the world, but the glory of the Spirit of God that dwells in us is shining out of us and people can see the glory of the work that's happened inside manifested in the outward man. So be ye transformed. Don't be conformed to the world that you're living in, but be transformed. Now how does that happen? By the renewing of your mind. So you see where you see where the war really is. If my mind could be changed, my actions would follow suit. Agree? And that don't matter what you're talking about. But if my mind is made up, then my actions will not change. So God says that we can be transformed. That we can, there's a means that God's provided that we would not be conformed to the world, but that we could be transformed or transfigured in Ephesians chapter 4. And I know a lot of this has been covered recently, but I believe you can see it here as well. Ephesians 4 and verse 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So you see there's, a, there's an ongoing day-by-day work that's going on here. Yes, the soul of man is sealed until the day of redemption. And that cannot be taken. I say this, if there's been real salvation there. 
a lot of times there's never been any regeneration. You know why people's mind can't be changed? Because they're not sons of God. And they're fashioned according to their former lusts. But here in Romans 12, you see this is people that God has redeemed. That Paul has already taught that they're sealed. And that there's no condemnation. And that there's no no judgment that can come against those that are in Jesus Christ. But here in 12, there's an ongoing work in my life. And we're to be transfigured. Our lives are to be changed to the glory of God, taking off the old man and his old lusts. Saved people ought to be able to look back, see the old man, and recognize what trouble, what deception, what evil that the old man was. And say, I I don't want to put that back on. Do you know where that old man got me? He got me in the greatest trouble that I've ever been in. I don't want to walk that way any longer. I want to put on the new man. The man that God has wrought. The new creature. And I want to walk that way. But that's done in Ephesians. And that's done in Romans. By being renewed in the spirit of our mind. By the renewing of your mind. So our mind has got to be... That word means renovated. There's a renovation process that's ongoing, not in the heart. The heart's work is done and sealed up. But in the mind, see, we've still got this carnal mind. And we've got these strongholds that are established that to God's truth, they're opposed to what God would like to do. And God would like to further renovate our lives that day by day we're becoming more and more like the image of the Son of God. If you've ever bought a house or had a house and renovated it, you're tearing out the trash and the junk that you don't like. You're going in with new and with things that you do like. And as you're going along, it's becoming more and more like you want it to be. Well, there's the work, not in the soul, but in the lives of the church. God is working to renovate and to make us more and more like the Son of God. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 18, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit... Of the Lord. So here's the picture. We're looking into the mirror. And as we look into the mirror, the Spirit of the Lord is doing a work upon us to change us into the image of the Son of God. The life is being molded and changed. Now, what's going on in Corinthians? Well, he's looking into the mirror. We know in James that the mirror in James is the Word of God. If you look into the law of liberty, 
It's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. So how is my mind going to be renewed? Well, one great way that my mind is going to be changed is by the Word of God. The Word of God will change my mind. And so, you know, you talk about the devil working. The devil has taken away. Now this is the truth. Any care or any love or any necessity for the Word of God out of people's lives. Is that not the truth? Is there any necessity for me to look into the Word of God and to learn something new out of it today? Is there any necessity for me to spend 15 minutes reading something out of the Word of God today? Is there? Has there been? I'm telling you, the devil has blinded people. We, we really don't need that. Well, where does that notion come from? I'm afraid that's, that's been conformed upon us. God's never said that. But this perfect law of liberty, this is part of the means that God's given me that my life could be conformed into the image of the Son of God. And if I'm saved and there's no growth, you know, one place I could look, well, I wonder, how much time am I spending in the Word of God? That's right. All manner of things have taken its place. But I'm going to say, if we were to do it, and I know churches that do do it, and they say, how many chapters have you read this week? We put the total on the board. I'm convinced that 80% of it's a lie to begin with. But in honesty, right now, how many chapters have you read this week? Not at church, at the house. Do you see what we've been robbed of? One of the very means of God to conform us into the image of His Son, there's no need for that any longer. And we've been robbed of this and then we wonder why Why are we so conformed to the world? Why is it that when we come to church, people's just hard to preach in anymore? And so why is that if people are saved, people want to put their foot down and say, I'm saved. Well then, why is there no love for the Word of God? Why is our minds never changed by the Word of God? And why is there so little care for digging into and looking into the Word of God. By the renewing of your mind. Now, if if my mind is going to be renovated, then the stuff that's in there has got to come out. Now, if I love what's in there, I'm not going to take it out, am I? If I love my kitchen cabinets and countertops, I'm not going to renovate that. Do you see that? But what's first got to happen is I've got to say, you know what, that's something that needs to go. And then we've got to know what's going to go back in its place, right? There's a replacement that's got to happen. Well, now we're not talking about a house, we're talking about the mind. Paul says in Corinthians, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
And what's these weapons doing? Bringing into captivity the thought, the imagination, the thinking of man to the Word of God. And so as as we go along in life, the first thing that's got to happen is there's got to be a revelation that, you know, this in my life is not right. That needs to come out. Now, how does God manifest that? The Word of God. Is that not true? The Word of God. And now, now if the Word of God then reveals something to me about my life that should not be there, what then should I do? What's, what's another means of grace that God's provided us? I tell you, we can fall on our face and pray unto God for forgiveness, for strength, and for help in renovating our lives. Now here, God has given the church a means that in Revelation, there's John and he's looking at the throne of God in heaven and he sees censers with smoke coming up out. And the angel says, John, that right there, that's the prayers of the saints. You know where they were? They were in heaven. The prayers of these people had went from their closet, from their altar, from wherever they were bowed down, and by the Spirit of God, they had ascended to the throne of God. And God was hearing what they were praying. Now, think about how glorious a thought that that is. And you know, along with the Word of God, We've been conformed to think, well, prayer, that ain't worth my time either. And so, how many chapters have you read? How many times have you prayed this week? Now, when you take those two together and you examine those things and and each one individually, you know your answer to those two questions. You examine those things closely And then I say, you know, I think I can understand why my life is like it is. I think I can understand why that I can live like I'm living and there's no trouble about it. And the the Word of God's lost its edge to me. And why my love has gotten so cold. Jesus says love grows cold because iniquity is abounding. God's give us a means to renovate our mind and we've laid the tools to the side and said, God, I can do it myself. And we've we've put on the old man and we're back in the state that we were years ago. Be ashamed to have a bunch of nails to drive and for you to give me a hammer to do that and me set that aside and say, I don't need that. I can, I can do that myself. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? And God has said, I want your body to be presented to me, a living sacrifice, and He's given us a Word of God to, to teach me how to think. He's given me a means of prayer that I could pray to God my weakness 
and draw near to Him and that He could send His grace to me. And I swear we've laid the tools aside and said, God, we're going to navigate this our own self. And there's no need for me to seek God's face. There's no need for me to look into the Word of God. I'm good the way I am and I'm living right the way I am and I do not need your tools to get this job done. But you know what we can do? If you tell me to drive these nails, you can come back in an hour. Well, you've not got anything done. You know there's evidence there you can go and check on the building. and Well, how's the house coming along? How's your house coming along? How's your life coming along today? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Psalm, the first Psalm, John Wayne taught it. But in His law, He doth meditate day and night. You know, God comes, and it's Jesus, I'm convinced, God speaking to Joshua in the first chapter of Joshua. Joshua, you let your mind and you let your heart be in My law day and night. Let, let your affection be on the Word of God. But you know, instead of the Word of God, and instead of on my face in prayer... I've got something else on that's conforming me the other way. Even the advertisements conform your thinking to what they want you to think. They do. And so, we've laid aside the tools that God's given us and we've taken up We've taken up what the devil's put out there in front of us. And our mind's been changed. Our thinking's been altered. The, the Word of God, it's been loosened up. And today we can live, we can do, we can talk, we can act. Today, like years ago we said, we'll never do like that man's doing. Now how, how did we get to that place? Well, we've, we've laid down the tools that God's given us that we should use to grow the renewing of your mind that you may prove. So there's a proving going on. What are we, what are we proving? What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Now, who are we proving this to? The word means to test or to approve. Am I going to prove to God what His good will is? God knows what His will is. Do I need to prove to me what God's good will is? I, I believe you could say that in a sense. But you know, in, in the them that are saved, we know what the will of God is, per se. And we know what it is to be saved if indeed we're saved. But you know who doesn't know? You know, there's people in our world, there's people in our family, there's people that you can stand on your porch and hit their house with a rock, most likely. And you know, they think it's acceptable 
to live filthy and talk filthy. They think it's acceptable that well, all you've got to do is believe. They believe that it's acceptable that well, you don't need the church, you don't need preaching, you just got to do good. All manner of thinking in our world today, and it's right, it's right at our back door. And I'm going to say when we go into work Monday morning, if you get in the vehicle with somebody and you ride with somebody, the person you're riding with, you know what their mind has been? It's been conformed by the devil and by deceitfulness and by religion and by the world and they do not know what the will of God is. And so God says, you're my people that I've redeemed and that I've saved and that I've made a part of my family. And I want you, when you go out into the world, to show people that's been blinded by the world what my will really is. That they could see what somebody that's saved really looks like. That they could see what somebody that God dwells in really is. That they might know that the lifestyle and the choices are not acceptable with God. How's that being proved? It's being proved with our life, our body being yielded unto God. How are we yielding? Well, we're not being conformed. We're not letting the world to creep in and mold our thinking to what the way they think. But we're transforming. We're being transfigured and renovated by taking advantage of the means of grace that God has given us. God's given teaching. Thank God for teaching. God's given preaching. Thank God for preaching. And you know, I ought to to be there and I ought to try to hear when I'm there. But God's given me a book too. A book in my language that I can take home, that I can read, that I can search after, that I can fall on my face and say, God, change my thinking to what Your Word says. And when my thinking is changed, my life will be conformed to the way that I think. That you may prove. He says in Ephesians chapter number 5, Verse number 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So what's he saying there? He's listing sins. And he says, Don't let somebody deceive you into thinking that doing and acting like this is appropriate. He says it in Deuteronomy. He says it here. He says it again in Peter. And he says it all through the book. Lifestyles like that is what God's coming to judge and destroy. Be not partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. How should we walk then? As darkness? Walk, therefore, as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit 
is all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. The church is the place, he says in Timothy, the pillar and the ground of the truth. That that in a world of darkness, in a world of blindness, in a world of deception, the church is the one place that the world could look and see what God really accepts and what God's Word truly says. That you may prove what is the good, perfect, acceptable will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me. So Paul now, and I'm not going to have time to get through this verse, but Paul says, I say through the grace given unto me. So what's he referring to? In 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 10, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. One more place in Galatians. Galatians chapter number 2, verse number 8. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So what grace was given to Paul? Paul was given the grace of apostleship. He was given a place of great authority in the church. God enabled him to do that. But you see over and over and over again in the Corinthians, at Galatia, seems like everywhere Paul went, he has to justify... His apostleship. You know why that is? If if Paul is an apostle and what he's teaching is the Word of God and God's bearing witness, then I can't go against what he's saying. You see that? But now if, if I can cut him down and say, well, he's not the real thing. He's really not an apostle. He's just in his flesh. Well, then I can undermine his teaching. A lot of times that's how the Word of God skirted around. Well, he shouldn't have even talked about that this morning. He was out of place. And we use that to circumvent, circumvent what God has said. And so here, Paul says, God's given me grace. God's made me an apostle. God's given me this illumination. Paul says in Corinthians, and if you believe the words divinely inspired and the Holy Ghost inspired every word, then the Holy Spirit said in 1 Corinthians that Paul was a wise master builder that was actively laying the foundation of the church of the living God. So Paul's got some authority here, not authority that he's took on himself, but authority that God's given him. And if you say, well, I can't take Paul's word at it, then we read in Galatians that James and John and Peter, who seemed to be the pillars of the church, they laid their hands on him and said, this man is an apostle 
And the grace of God is manifested on him. So, the other apostles were in agreement. They laid their hands upon Paul. So Paul has this authority. Through the grace given to me to every man that is among you. Well, this sort of thing is good for the preacher and it's good for the teachers and it's good for the one that opens Sunday school. But you know that everybody don't have to do that. Paul says the authority that God's given me, I say to every man that is among you. Does that include the, the pastor? Does it include the teachers? Does it include the deacons? Does it include everybody that's got an office? But it's more than that too. You see that? To every man that is among you, to everybody in the church house, no matter of their intelligence, no matter of the position that they have, no matter of what perception that the world has of them, I say to every man among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Boy, here's, here's the first problem. How do we get headed off down the wrong path? I believe the, the first place that we start down the wrong path is we begin to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. If I'm going to be brought to a place that I despise Vaughn, that's going to start with me thinking more highly of me. If I'm going to get to the place that I'm going to leave the Word of God and the, the reading or study of it out of my life, I'm going to begin to think more highly of myself. And you know what? I, I don't really need that. The same with prayer. The same with, with everything that would lead me away from God. It all begins with pride. And so here, that every man that is among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought. So what ought I to, to be? And we're, we're out of time. We ought to be aware of what we really and truly are. Truth. What are we? I mean, if, if you remove the grace of God from our life, and if God never intervenes in our pathway, what were we then and what would we be today? So, how silly it is for me to think something of myself. Ain't that the truth? When I can look and recognize that, boy, I was, I was in bad shape and I, I've heard testimonies over and over again and I was on my way even deeper and farther away day by day. It's pretty silly to think highly of ourselves.